Let's uh, just bow our hearts and then we'll go into this study this morning. Well, Father, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this revelation. Lord, of everything that you want us to know about you, a lot about ourselves and about our relationship with you, how we can have a relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, that your word reveals, Father, your plan. Lord, it reveals the the depravity, the, the, the emptiness, Lord, in man, in our own way. And it shows us, Lord, that through your Son, there is a way, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, help us this morning as we continue this study, Father, to not just go over things that we, we've understood before or know, but, Lord, to challenge us, Lord, to instruct us. Father, we want to learn from your word, from the things you've revealed that we would grow in knowledge and in grace. So we just give you this time. Speak to each one of us, Lord, individually. Lord, wherever we're at, Lord, we're in different places in our lives. But Father, you know each heart, each mind, each soul. And so Lord, draw us closer to you, we pray, through the working of your Holy Spirit here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've gone through, this is a very quick recap of the first eight verses. We're now going to start to pick up the pace just a touch. Uh, we're going to just look at the next eight verses this morning. Um, but those opening eight verses, we see a double blessing. God wants to bless his people. That's the first thing we should see there. And we're given the kind of two criteria. Blessed are the undefiled in the way those who are, are not conformed to this world, but as Paul says in Romans, are transformed by the renewal of their minds, that are separate from this world. And it's, it's a whole life thing. It's our language. It's our conduct. All of those things. Blessed are they that, that keep his testimonies. And that this is the key point, that seek him with a whole heart. And it goes on, those first four verses set a standard that is impossibly high. Just like Jesus does with the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sets a standard there that if you look at it, you would despair because it's so high you cannot attain to that naturally. But that's the point. And that's exactly what we, God wants us to get to, realizing we need a Savior. We don't just need a Savior to save us from sin. Of course we do. But we need a Savior who is able to transform us. And as the Bible uses this phrase, to sanctify us, to set us apart for God. So, The first four verses really, I think, set God's perfect standard. The next four verses, as we've seen, and we were looking at this in detail last week, it's that that hope. It's that knowledge that we will get there. There's a lot of uh, looking forward to what is to come. You know, just that pleading, oh, if only my ways were directed to keep God's statutes. But you know what? There is coming a day when I will be transformed. As David himself says, that he was looking forward to that day when he would awake in the likeness of his Savior, of his Redeemer. And that's the thing that we're looking forward to. There will be a day when there will be no more sin. As we said earlier, no more sickness, no more pain. Those former things will have passed away. And as we read in verse 6, then, on that day, shall I not be ashamed? You know, the reality is for now, there are many things still in our lives that we are ashamed of and we'd rather not share and talk to others about. You know, God is patiently working and graciously working in our lives. But there are a number of things that, probably for now, that that still do cause us shame. But there's coming a day when we won't be ashamed, when we will have respect unto all of his commandments. We are going to come to that place when we will be able to praise God when, and praise God with uprightness of heart, when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. You know, so it's looking forward to that day when it will all be done. And that's the good thing that we can keep before us, that just as we're told by Paul, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it. What a comfort. 
you know, as we go through this life, that promise that it's not about you. It's not about how good you're going to be or you can, you can become. It's not what level you can attain to in the Christian life. It's the fact that Jesus himself has begun a work and he is going to complete it. What a, a privilege that he has chosen you as a subject to work upon. And me, uh, you know, we don't deserve these things. Okay, so now we're going to get into the, the next eight verses. And we'll just see how the Lord leads us here. But there's a lot here um, to hopefully excite us, to challenge us, and to really start to get us thinking. We, we start off then with that opening. Um, but wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Now, I want to just draw your attention to the fact that what I believe David, who I believe wrote this psalm, uh, what the psalmist here is doing, is first of all saying, I want to claim these blessings. You know, we read that in the opening that there are there's two specific blessings that are being spoken of here. A double blessing, like a double portion of anointing for, for Elisha. The double blessing that came upon Joseph and so on, or upon the firstborn. That double blessing, God says, is here for you. But the psalmist now says, I want that. I'm not content to wait until eternity to get those blessings. I want it now. And it's a good thing that we, we want to have that blessing. We'll see more of that as we come through. So the first thing that we see is this uh, statement, in a sense, speaking about the way in which we're walking now. The, the first blessing is about those who are undefiled. And the verse 9 is a response really to verse 1, saying, well, you know what, I want my way to be just like that, because I want that blessing. In, in the second part, in the verse um, 2, sorry, verse 10, the, the second verse of the next eight group of eight, well then, again, it's speaking about the whole heart. Do you remember the second blessing there? Verse 2 speaks about seeking him with a whole heart. And now the psalmist says, well, you know, that's the way I want to seek God. So I think what we're seeing here is that uh, pleading, in a sense, with God, that, that statement of intent that I don't want to leave these blessings and carry on through my life. If they're there, I want them, and I want them now. I want to experience the blessings that God has for me. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to take everything that God has for us now in this life? So, verse 9. There's quite a lot in, in this verse. It's one of those, you know, we are going at a slow, much slower pace than normally we kind of go through uh, Scripture studying, but I just think there's so much that we can learn and glean from these things. So the first thing I want to just, just highlight is that the psalmist here is focusing on the way. Where withal shall a young man cleanse his way? Now know what the question is, really. It, it's not how can a young man cleanse his heart or his mind, or anything else. But this focus on the way itself. Now, as I was meditating and thinking and praying through this during the week, yeah, it really just got me to think about the way, the path that's ahead of us. And in a sense, even on a, on a daily basis, you know, all too quickly we fall in our Christian lives when we're faced with hurdles. You know, we're great when there's no temptation, but the moment temptation comes, well, that's when the problem comes, isn't it? You know, and, and it's those temptations so often... They don't always even catch us off guard. They just, they're there and sometimes we, we stumble, we fall. Maybe it's, we're, we're too quick tempered. Maybe it's that we hold grudges. Maybe we don't let go of things. We don't surrender them to God. Maybe it's that we have other issues in our lives. Maybe there's addictions. It could be lust. It could be all sorts of different things. It could be pride. You know, and, and so often we find ourselves stumbling and falling at these same things. And I think what the psalmist is saying to start with here is, first of all, how can we cleanse the way? How can I clear the route ahead of me of all of this debris? You see, we don't want to walk through a path with landmines everywhere and hopefully try and dodge them. There's a, a little anecdote that's often used of this, uh, 
man, rich uh, man that had a very nice car, stately car, and he was hiring a driver. And he had a quite a narrow driveway to the property where he lived, and it was up a slight hill. And so the first driver he interviewed, he said to him, how do you think you would get on driving my car out of the driveway? I certainly don't want you to scratch it. He said, how close do you think you could get to the wall without scratching? And the driver said, oh, I think I could probably get within a foot quite comfortably without, without damaging either side of the car. The second candidate comes along and he interviews him. He said, how close do you think you'd be able to get to the wall? He said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a very experienced driver. I think I'd probably be able to get within two to three inches comfortably without scratching the car. The third candidate comes along and he asks him the same question. And he says, sir, he said, I wouldn't get anywhere near those walls. You see, the, the anecdote is there to kind of illustrate the fact that we don't want to go through our life having learnt how to overcome every single temptation because I guarantee you, if you could do that, there would be something else that then would make you fall. What we need to be doing, just as the psalmist is saying here, is cleansing the way, avoiding every possible thing that may lead to temptation. It's a little bit like... You think of going on a journey. You know, in the days before sat-navs, if you were going on a journey, you would look at a map. Well, most people. I mean, Christopher Columbus didn't use maps, and men, generally speaking, don't use maps. But, you know, the idea is you should use a map to see where you're going. Because if you know where you're going, you're not going to wander from the pathway, from the route that you need to take. Well, that, that's what we're, we're looking at here. We, we need to know the way that we're going, and we're trying to make sure that any obstacles are removed. If you were planning a journey, and, and our, our sat-nav now, and maybe yours as well, actually comes up on the route, and it shows you if there are traffic jams on route. I think over the last few months, I found almost every single traffic jam in southern England. Uh, the route down to Creation Fest, we just hit about every single traffic jam, I think, possible. Uh, a six-and-a-half-hour journey that should have been four hours. We then had that week off and we went various places and everywhere we went, we just found traffic jams. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of take shortcuts through country lanes and sometimes they worked and most of the time they didn't. You know, but when you have a, a sat-nav like we have, on one occasion over the last couple of weeks, the sat-nav came up with an alternative route. I thought, okay, we'll give it a chance. And actually, it got me through and it got me there quicker. And I was quite surprised, but it did. But, you know, that's the point. If we could find a route through life that avoids all these things, all these pitfalls, wouldn't we want to take it? Well, I think that's exactly what the psalmist is asking here. You know, it's really, how can I clear the path ahead of me so that I don't get distracted or, or sidetracked? So that's the first thing I think we need to, to draw out of that, that statement. The second thing I want to just look at before we come to the overall uh, sentence is, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? So is this not to apply to women? Does that mean that for the women this morning you can just switch off for a moment? Well, no. Because women need to take heed of God's word every bit as much as men do. You know, is it that young men need to avoid temptation more than women do? I don't think so either. You know, there's certainly problems that that men face, and particularly younger men face, that maybe others don't. Uh, Maybe that women don't. Uh, See if I can find this, I'll read you something, if I can find it. Yeah, this is just um, from Spurgeon's commentary. He says a word to the young. He says, show how the young man is in special danger of defiling his way. Through one, his strong passions. Two, his immature judgment. Three, his inexperience. Four, his rash self-sufficiency. Five, his light companions, the people that we mix and mingle with. Six, his general heedlessness. And it goes on. You know, but then... Could we honestly say that those things don't apply to all of us? So I, I think that there is an application that, that 
this applies to men. And why is it say, what does it say, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Well, a couple of things that are fairly obvious, really. Firstly is that the psalmist that's writing this is almost certainly David. He's writing, thinking of himself. I don't think when David penned this, for a moment he thought that millions of people throughout the history of the world would be reading this psalm. He didn't expect it to be a number one hit in that sense. He's just writing down the thoughts, the the lessons he's learned on his journey, and probably intending to pass it on to his sons. Knowing some of the mistakes he'd made, wanting to give some godly advice to his own sons. And so, probably from a very logical and natural reason, he's writing this, how should a young man cleanse his way? Thinking again of his own life uh, and that of his sons. But, I think there's something else that we need to see in this. And that is that the Holy Spirit has seen to put here that why or how should a young man cleanse his way? Well, I think, as I said, I don't think it's suggesting that men, young men, are tempted more than young women. And one of the interesting things to think about is that we find from Genesis 3 that Eve was tempted before Adam. Okay, so it's not that one sex has greater temptation than the other. We have different things probably, but Eve was tempted first. But one of the interesting things that comes out of that is the fact that Adam was given the instruction about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and told about the tree of life. It was Adam's job to tell Eve. You see, it wasn't Eve that's given that information. It's given to Adam. Adam had that responsibility of imparting that to Eve. Why does this verse say, how shall a young man cleanse his way? I honestly think it's because of this. If a man cleanses his way, if a man learns how to walk with the Lord, I think that will naturally impact the women around that man's life. So for me, as a husband and as a father, if I learn how to walk with God, that will impact my wife and my children. I think that we see God's order in the church. And Calvary Chapel are one of the few churches in this country and probably around the world world now that don't feel from Scripture that it's right to have women as pastors. I think it's right biblically that men have that role as pastor because this is what God has ordained. First Corinthians chapter 11 makes it very clear that God has a very specific order. It's not to do with importance. It's not, it's not a sexist thing. People try and you know, relegate it to those terms, but it's not at all. God has a very specific order and that's how he wants things done. It's interesting also that if you look in Romans chapter 1, there's a strange almost comment there by Paul and he speaks of women who have gone astray and in the context he's speaking of those who have now burned in lust for each other and it makes it kind of it's it's strange that this is how bad things have got that even the women have done this but what happens first the men have gone astray you see the men go astray and then the women follow on from that and I think that there's something that's very key in scripture that we understand that men need to get our walk right with God If we, as men, get our walk right with God, it will have an impact, in a very positive sense, upon our wives, upon our children, and I think upon society at large. So I think it's, in one sense, it's David just writing this, expressing his own thoughts as a man himself, but I think the Holy Spirit is just showing us something more here as well. And it's very specific. If young men get it right, and as we take that into our later lives, then I think it will impact all around us. Okay, so the question then is, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is now given by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Spurgeon makes this comment, he says, the word shows us that we need to cleanse our way. 
It's the first thing he makes. The, 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 the word itself, God's word, actually shows us that the way that we are travelling needs to be cleansed. There is a problem. Yeah, we, we've said a number of times that, as this was told in Proverbs, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end there are the ways of death. So the first thing the psalm does, the first thing God's word does, is to show us that our way needs to be cleansed. That's something we, we need to realise. Because a lot of people think that they're fine, that they're just travelling through life and they're okay. The second thing Spurgeon says is that the word will give us the sufficiency of energy for cleansing of the way. So, not only do we read from and understand from God's word that the way needs to be cleansed, but the word of God will enable us to cleanse that way. The third thing is the sufficiency of pleasure to encourage us to choose to cleanse our way. You see, it's one thing recognizing that our way needs to be cleansed. That we need to live a godly life. That we need to avoid temptation at all costs. You know, it's another thing to find that you've been given of God the, the ability to cleanse your way. But it's another thing entirely to really want to do it. Not because of some compulsion, but just because you really recognize the blessing and the benefit. And notice again, I've already said that I believe that this verse is a response to verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. So there's that pleasure that comes from knowing that we are setting ourselves about cleansing our way, removing every obstacle. There's a verse, I believe it's in Romans, and it just speaks about making no occasion for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's, that's the same idea. Just cleansing the way, getting everything out of the way. The fourth thing that Spurgeon says is a sufficiency to support or sustain them in their cleansed way. So there's three things. Firstly, the word shows us our way needs to be cleansed. Secondly, it gives us the ability and power to cleanse our way. Thirdly, the joy that comes from doing that. And then fourthly, to enable us to remain in that position, that state. Now, just speaking of the word itself, because what we're being told here is, how can we cleanse our way? How can we clear the route ahead of us? Well, by God's word. That, that's the, the simple answer to the question. And it's such a profound and yet simple response. We need to just think about it just for a moment. Just turn with me, if you will, just so you don't doze off. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3.16, a verse I'm sure you know very well. Sometimes it's just good to look at it, to read it, to, to let it sink in. So 2 Timothy 3. Actually, I'm going to read from verse 14. It's Paul speaking to Timothy. Timothy, uh, a young pastor. Paul giving instruction. In fact, the, the, there's so much... Uh, we could draw out this, but just, just quick off of verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learnt them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Some of your versions may say thoroughly equipped. It's fine, it's not a problem, but I actually like thoroughly furnished. Because just my mind, the way I think, you know, if you're going to look around a property or you look at an advert for a property and it says that it's, it's thoroughly furnished, you know that it's got everything you need. You can literally move in and start living. It's got everything. All the appliances that need to be there. Well, that's what God wants for our life. He wants us to be thoroughly furnished. Everything that we need. And the word of God will do just that in our life. Again, the question, how can we cleanse our way? By taking heed to God's word. Because God's word gives us absolutely everything we need. In Psalm, sorry, in um, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, just a few pages uh, further over, 
Another important verse. And we're told there, verse 12 of Hebrews 4, For the word of God is quick and powerful, living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, out of the joints and marrow. Okay, what we've got there is three things. We've got body, the joints and marrow, soul and spirit. That, that's how that's how we're made up. We're made up of body, soul and spirit. And the word of God is able to divide up and help us to see what is spiritual and that which is worldly or fleshly. And in a sense, our, our soul kind of sits in the middle of this tug of war. You've got the spirit drawing us one way. You've got the flesh pulling us another uh, and this is why Paul says that, you know, there is no neutral ground. You're, you're being pulled one way or the other. So, again, the word of God helps us to see, gives us clarity in these things. But just think about some of the other things that the word of God does for us. Let's turn to First Corinthians chapter 10. Because one of the things that we note about the word of God is, it gives us a lot of instruction and teaching from examples. And 1 Corinthians 10 is a great little uh, passage which speaks about examples. Paul there speaking to the Corinthian church and he speaks about Israel to them. And he uses Israel as an example. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Uh, it's amazing how many times Paul kind of presses out on the church. Yeah, I want you to know, I want you to understand how that all of our fathers, speaking of the Jews, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, speaking of that escaped from Egypt, the cloud that led them by day, the pillar of fire by night, and then they were taken miraculously through the Red Sea. And it says, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat the same spiritual meat. And all did drink that same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I mean, straight away there's a lesson there, isn't there, that Christ provides. That Christ is sufficient for all of our needs. I mean, we're to take heed to God's word. Well, there's lessons every single verse in the Bible, and everything will point ultimately to Jesus. But notice them, what we're told, he gives us, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. And he goes on to speak about this. Now, verse 6 tells us, now these were our examples, to the intent that we should not last after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters, as were some of them. And he goes on. Neither let us commit fornication. Neither let us tempt Christ. Neither murmur. So, Paul is using this and then just concludes verse 11. It says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world to come. So, one of the things the word of God does is say, look, look at this example. Look at the way they went about it. Look at the mistakes they made and learn from those things. You know, they went after their fleshly lust. They they tried to satisfy themselves, gluttony and all these things. They, they were crying out for meat and, and of course the Lord sent them quail and they ended up being sick because they had so much of it. Well, this is one of the things the word does. It gives us examples from people that have been there, that have travelled that path, that way, have made mistakes and God says, look at that. Don't make the same mistake. Do you remember one of the things on your sheet there? Um, it speaks of testimonies. If you just look at your, your sheet there, and under testimonies it says, mean to bear witness. It speaks of the things that God has testified of, has borne witness to being true. God is outside of time and bears witness as to the right way, because he can see the end from the beginning. Well, this is the point. God knows the end from the beginning, and in his word, time and time again, he gives us examples. What about Samson? Well, Samson was a man 
who was supposed to be separate from the world, wasn't he? He was a Nazarite, is the vow that he'd taken. Nothing to do with Nazareth, this vow of a Nazarite. And there were a number of things that he was to avoid. He wasn't to drink wine, he wasn't to allow his hair to be cut, and a number of other things as well. And of course he ends up basically breaking all the rules. He, he, he's supposed to be separate from the world, set apart for God, and he ends up allowing himself to be compromised in almost every area of his life. One great example, because you see the end of that path. Now, of course, through God's grace, Samson is given that opportunity at the end of his life, but not after losing his sight. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of these little subtle lessons there that, you know, Samson lost that ability to see. Because he gave in to the lust of the flesh. And, and, and we all have got to be aware that giving in to the flesh is ultimately going to affect our vision. It's going to affect our eyesight. What about Saul? Another example we're given in scripture. Interesting character. Started off so well. And yet so much pride in his life. He was so fearful of his reputation. Fearful of losing the things that he had. I mean, he's not prepared to to wait and trust God, doesn't wait for Samuel to arrive to administer a sacrifice, steps into an office that wasn't his and makes a sacrifice, ends up losing the kingdom. David had no intention of robbing the kingdom from Saul, and yet, of course, Saul sees David as this constant threat and tries to kill him repeatedly. I mean, the pride of that man's life, that just destroyed him. What about Gehazi, this, this servant of Elisha's, given over to covetousness? You remember the situation when Nahum the leper comes and brings with him all these changes of raiments and clothes and you know gold and all this stuff. And he comes and offers it to Elisha. Elisha says, no, I don't want it, I don't want it. Take him. And then Gehazi goes after him after he's gone and makes up some story about visitors coming and we need some stuff. And you see the the end of those paths. What about Jonah, an individual that rebels against God? You know, ends up going full circle and still ends up back where he started serving God and doing what God had asked him to do. But at a great cost to himself. You know, so the Bible gives us lots of, in a sense, negative examples. People that have failed. You see, the point I'm trying to make here is that what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 119, this verse 9 we're looking at, is how should we cleanse our way by taking heed to? That means you've got to understand it. You've got to know what it says if you are going to follow it. If you're going to take heed to something, you've got to know what that is that you're taking heed to. You've got to understand what it is you're listening to. And so we've got to understand, we've got to read scripture. There's a mandate on all of us to read and understand scripture. And the first thing we see again, these many, many examples of people that have tried things and done it their own way. The whole Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. It's never a good thing from a biblical perspective. Everybody that tries that fails. Even Abraham himself tried to do it his own way and we end up with a family feud that has lasted millennia. The problem between the Jews and the offspring of Ishmael. But then also we've got this list of people that have succeeded, that have trusted God, that have been faithful. Hebrew speaks of those and it says, whose faith follow. There's some great examples of success in scripture as well. And even Abraham, although he made failures, I mean, he never made a permanent home in this earth. He was always looking for something outside or beyond this world. Something where he speaks of looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He recognized this world wasn't home. What about Stephen in Acts chapter 7? What a great example. 
I mean, he wasn't challenged as to whether he believed in Jesus and went, well, uh, it doesn't affect my life. He said, yes, I do. He was stoned to death for professing, but what a testimony that man has for eternity. What about Joseph? What a great example of somebody that is faced with temptation and flees from temptation. I always think that's an interesting situation because nobody knew. David could, uh, so Joseph could have just, oh, well, I'll give in. Presumably, we're not told the details, but presumably Mrs. Potiphar was probably reasonably good looking. If she wasn't, there probably wouldn't have been much of a temptation there. But the fact that she comes on strong to Joseph, and she arranges it on an occasion when nobody's around, nobody needs to know. Joseph's dad and his brothers were miles away. Nobody in Egypt cared anyway. But God knew, and God saw. You know, that moment of decision there by Joseph, when he chooses to flee... Because he recognized that this is a a bigger thing than just this little relationship. This is a thing between him and God. That changes the course of history. You see, because of that situation and Joseph's decision, Joseph ends up in prison. Wrongly accused, but so on. He ends up in prison. But because he's in prison, he ends up giving testimony to the two people that get put in prison, the butler and the baker. And then subsequently, because of that, because of the butler, who then speaks to Pharaoh two years later, Joseph is let out. Because of that, Joseph ends up in second in command of all of the land of Egypt. Because of that, when the brothers who are about to perish in the land of Canaan come, there's food, there's grain and everything in Egypt. That one decision that nobody knew about, nobody would have seen, changed the course of history. It preserved the Jewish nation. The chances are, if that hadn't happened, there hadn't been grain and everything else. Jacob and the, the boys could have starved to death. There'd have been no line down to Jesus. What about Daniel? Another great character. Daniel goes off to the University of Babylon as a young man. He's taken from his home, from his family, just like many are today. Goes to the bright lights of the city of Babylon. This incredible city. The temptation was just overwhelming. He's uh, he's kind of placed in this program where the king is feeding him and fattening up and giving him pretty much anything he wants. So easy just to say, well, you know, God didn't look after me back where I was in my own land and, you know, it doesn't matter now, nobody's watching. No, no, Daniel still cared about the things of God. We read a lovely verse in Daniel, I think it's chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. What a lovely expression that is. Purposed in his heart that he was not going to be defiled with anything the king could offer him. So again, the word of God, which is able to cleanse our way for us, gives us all these examples. But we need to take heed of it. We need to understand it, we need to know, we need to read it. And the other thing I think is interesting, because this is, of course, on a, on a bigger sense, just in life in general, but we break this down to a day-by-day walk. I encourage you this morning, don't leave the house without reading something from the Bible. Now, you don't have to read Ten chapters and spend an hour and a half in prayer. But read one verse, at, very, just at least one verse. And I encourage you, over the next few weeks, just read one verse. We've got eight verses, so one day of the week you need to do, do two verses. But we can go through each of these blocks as we're going through. Just take one verse a day, read it, meditate upon it, think about it. And the, the incredible thing, and I, I started doing this a few months ago myself personally, because I just wanted a little bit more discipline. And... On the, on the tube now, I've got about a 15 minute tube journey in London. And, look, it's been hot recently, you've probably noticed. And some of the clothing styles in London are not necessarily things that we would approve of. Shall we put it that way? And there's been lots of scantily clad ladies. 
But you know, my head's now looking down at my phone with my scripture on it, and I'm just looking at these verses. And I honestly, I, this is not me being super spiritual or anything, I, I don't even notice things now. I just encourage you, you know, whatever it is in your life that would be a challenge or a problem, don't even let it be in the way by putting God's word first, allowing God to speak to you. And yet, it's interesting that they said that after 9-11 in America, a lot of people started going back to church. Apparently people were quitting gambling and drinking and all sorts of other issues. Why? Well, because sunny circumstances changed. You know, when people are are sick or ill, they don't want to go out and get drunk or do this or do that or whatever, fill in the blank, anything. Lust after whatever. You know, life circumstances change the way you perceive things. That's really the point here. William MacDonald in his Believer's Bible Commentary said this, and I think this is a great comment. He says, the surest way to abstain from evil is to be completely occupied with doing good. It's just so simple. But occupy your mind so much with the things of God that actually you don't even think about the things of the world. So how can we cleanse our way? How can a young man cleanse our way? How can any of us cleanse our way? How can we clear all the debris out of the way so as we walk we don't get tripped up? Well, it's simply by taking heed to God's word. Let God's word impact us. And again, you don't have to have all 66 books memorized. But just pick one verse. One verse for a day. And whenever you get a moment, just think about the verse. What does that mean to me? I've been amazed, because I've been going through these verses. A verse that you look at and you think, yep, okay, read it, got it, thanks. You go back to it again and suddenly you go, oh, hang on a minute. It's like an onion. You know, every, every time you take a layer off, there's another layer there. And God's word's like that. It's inexhaustible and God's Holy Spirit will keep speaking to you. Okay, let's pick up the pace as we move through. So verse 10. Then... The second of these blessings really being claimed here. With my whole heart, I have sought thee. I mean, can we say that we've sought God with a whole heart? This is what we asked before. You know, in a sense, we are still within sin's grasp. Sin can still trip us up and catch us and so on. But I don't think it's to imply that the psalmist has got to that place, that he's got a perfect heart now and everything is, is right and clean and so on. But I think what he's saying is that with a whole heart, with a, uh, when I have sought you, I have sought you with everything I've got. You know, David is the man of whom it said that he was a man after God's own heart. And yet we know he messed up. I, I think really this is speaking here of a, a burning love and a desire for fellowship with God. Now that doesn't mean that you don't stumble from time to time. It doesn't mean that you don't fall. We've already just talked about the remedy for that, but even if that happens, I mean, we've got that great verse in First John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's coming back to that place where we seek God. When you seek God, seek him with a whole heart. And do it more and more and more. But again... It's seeking God. Because notice what it's, with my whole heart I have sought thee. You see, it's in order to, to get the blessing, it's not going after the blessing, it's going after God, who is the source of the blessing. In a sense, that's the basis of the book of Job. Satan challenges Job, or challenges God, because of the situation with Job. It says, he only loves you because of the blessings. Take away the blessings and he'll curse you. And God says, okay, let's try testing, shall we? And so, all of the material things are taken away from Job. His family, he loses his family and so on. But he doesn't curse God, he still loves God. And then Satan says, well, alright, I'll give it to you, but if you touch him physically, if you actually affect his life, then he'll curse you. So God says, okay, 
You're not allowed to kill him, but go and do what you want to do. And so Job ends up covered in sores, and it's a horrible situation for, for Job. But then we get to that place where Satan loses. And God says, sorry, Satan, you have lost. And I think it's kind of a, a court of law type thing. For all eternity, what is proven by the book of Job is that a man can love God simply because he's God. Not because of the blessings. And I, I said this when we were teaching through Job a few years ago. I think it's really interesting, the timing of it, because Job lives at a time just prior to Abraham. And it's important that that question was settled once and for all before God calls Abraham and the Jewish people and sets about the plan of redemption through Jesus. I mean, ultimately that was laid back in Genesis, but the calling of Abraham was the really pivotal moment there. And I think that what the book of Job does is destroy Satan's argument once and for all of saying, well, men only love God because of the blessings. No, no, it's possible to love God simply because he's God. It had to occur at that point, because once God's plan was out, as it were, it was very easy for Satan to turn around and say, well, look, you know, you've made this plan that, that, that Christ is going to come, that he's going to lay down his life, because, of course, we have the model laid down with Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice and so on. And Satan could have said, well, of course man's going to love you because you're offering him salvation. But you see, that's already been proven that that's not the case. We can love God just because God is God. And I think that the point here is, with my whole heart I have sought thee. And that's what it's about. It's about seeking God. About wanting fellowship with God. Just because he's God. And because we've got that privilege and that opportunity. And then, oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. You know, having got to this place where... David is realizing, you know, that we can cleanse our way, that it is possible by taking heed to God's word, by seeking God. Well, you know what, I'm going to put in that prayer as well. Let me not wander. Having come to this place in my life, I don't want to wander from God's commandments. And I hope you, this morning, want to pray that prayer too. Lord, don't let me wander from your commandments. Because it is so easy to go off course. It's so easy to get out of the habit of spending time with God, or reading his word, or praying. So we need God's grace to enable us to walk in his way and seek him with a whole heart. We can't do it alone. Sanctification, of course, is God's work, but he's not going to usurp our free will. Verse 11 then, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Now in one sense, we're talking about memorizing, and I'm sure that that David had memorized much of scripture. Spurgeon in this book, uh, The Treasury of David, speaks of people that have memorized the whole of Psalm 119, some that have memorized the whole of the book of Psalms. And some people back in Spurgeon's day have memorized the whole of the New Testament. We've spoken before of um, Robert Wilson. He'd memorized the whole of the New Testament. And I think three languages. They were in days when we weren't watching Bake Off or X Factor or things like that. Now I'm not saying those things are wrong. But, you know, if we're going to seek God with our whole heart, let's put him first. Because, again, think of the blessing. We're not, this, is, this is about living a life that is abundant. And Jesus said that he came to give us life in abundance. So, again, thy word I've hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. You know, it's the constant reading and meditation on God's word. It has to be, it allows God's word to become part of our natural thinking process. That's what I believe Paul is talking about in Romans 12 when he says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Naturally, the, the raw programming of our mind, because we're naturally sinners, is always to incline to things that are sinful. So we have to reprogram. We have to put in there things that were not there before. We have to allow God 
to work in heavenly things, spiritual things. And by reading God's word, by meditating. And meditating, what is meditating? It's not sitting there with your legs crossed and going, hum. Meditation is to focus, to dwell, to think. You know, there's this example in scripture that's used uh, of clean and unclean animals. And clean animals typically will chew the cud. Okay? So, like a, a sheep, for example. It will eat the grass. And sheep, by the way, have five stomachs, if you didn't know that. They chew, goes into one of their stomachs, they then bring it back up again. And they chew it over again. And then they bring it back up again. And then they chew it over again. And each time they're getting a little bit more out of it. I know this sounds particularly pleasant to us, and I don't encourage you to do the same thing in the physical sense. But the point is, when we're studying God's word, go over it and over it and over it. And the more you go over something in God's word, the more you start to see. There's a lovely part of that that says, Thy word I have hid in my heart. The implication in one of the... Um, Commentators uh, made the point that it's like hiding something that's precious, that we don't want the enemy to come and take away from us. We don't want anybody to come and interfere. This is something that that we have hidden and protected and kept away from any outside influence. And notice again, that I might not sin against thee. Psalmist recognizing that God's word, and by allowing our lives and our thinking to be permeated by the things of God, is going to stop us sinning against God. Because whatever circumstance we'll be in, there'll always be a scripture there that will come back to our memory. You know, we were told in uh, Corinthians that, that there is no temptation that is common to man, that, that, that we, we all experience the same temptations. But then it goes, to say on, it goes on to say that when temptations come, God will always make a way of escape. Now, one of the ways that God does that is by bringing back to your memory a scripture. Something that you've read before. Something that makes you go... Ah, yeah. And it may be the verse you read that morning. This is why it's so important to allow ourselves daily just to be nourished on the things of God. You know, the fact that we need a remedy to counter sin tells us again that that natural inclination is to do just that. There's a twofold thing here, though, just quickly, to not labour the point, but you, you take this away and think about it yourselves, that it's God's word we have hidden in our heart. And that applies both to the written word, but also to the word made flesh. Because we are to be in Christ, but Christ is also to be in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So it's not just the words of scripture, but it's understanding that Christ himself, through the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells us. Thy word I've hid in my heart. What a privilege. Let's carry on. Verse 12 I love this. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. And this was one of those verses I read just going through the week. I just thought, well, okay, that's it. Blessed are you, Lord, teach me your statutes. Let's move on. But I, I kind of set myself this, no, no, spend the day on this one. And I kept going over it and I thought, hang on a minute, just, just think that the source of blessing is God himself. And that's what's being said here. God is not just the source, he's forever blessed, overflowing in abundance. And God wants to give that to his children. So it naturally follows that we want to be with and near and in fellowship with God. You know, just simply being near him in his presence cannot fail to bring blessing to the lives of his servants if we're seeking him with a whole heart. And, of course, well might we ask him to teach us his statutes. Again, if you look at your, your list, you look at statutes, and it speaks of being engraven. Lord, Teach me these things, engrave them upon my heart. 
They're forever there. It means wisdom is not going to bring us closer to the blessings. But allowing our minds to be filled with the fruit of this world is always going to cause us problems. And of course you've got TV, music, art, culture, relationships, all these things. Blessed is God. That's where we need to be in that relationship. Verse 13. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Again, William MacDonald made this comment. He says, those who learn to obey God's righteous ordinances have fullness of joy, and this leads to spontaneous adoration. Another commentator said, it is a law of life that when we really believe something, we want to pass it on. And I think that's the case, that we come to that place of that abiding relationship with God. You know, have you ever met a Christian that really loved God, that didn't want to talk about God? This doesn't happen. If you are in love with God, and it's a pleasure when you bump into a Christian, a believer that loves God, they want to talk about God. I remember it being said of, of Chuck Smith, that actually, if you engage him in conversation about anything other than the Bible, he really didn't say a lot. He didn't have a lot to say. But you talked about the Bible, and just it was like pressing the on switch, off he went. I love that. I love it that, that there are people, and I pray it be us, that are so into the things of God. Not in a... A funny religious sense, but just because we love God and we have this privilege of relationship with Him. So because with my lips I've declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Verse 14, I've rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. And this is simply, this is not necessarily to put in a negative light riches. I mean, some saint by the name of Bernard, I remember 1091 AD, said this. He said, riches are acquired with difficulty, enjoyed with trembling, and lost with bitterness. Probably just about right. But the comparison here really is not to disparage riches, but just to speak of the value of what we've got with the testimonies of God. The things that God has revealed to us, and remember, the testimonies speak of things that God has testified to that he knows in advance so that we can walk that same path in security. I mean, if you knew the future ahead of time, just think from a worldly point of view. Just just for a moment, think of something like the lottery. If you knew the future, if you know what numbers were coming up, well, you could go and win every single lottery ticket. But we've got something even better than that, far better than that. Because God has shown us in advance the way we should go, the path we should follow. And it is better than anything the world can give. We were talking about that earlier, earlier this morning. Verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts. Again, we said already, but chewing the cud, going over and over. Meditate. Spend time in God's word. Don't be too quick just to read through scripture. And I encourage you all, read through the Bible once every year if you can. It's a real great blessing just to do that. But also at the same time, stop just to meditate. Just to spend time. And have respect unto thy ways. just want to read you one quick comment. If I can find it in here. All along David had shown what he had done but now it's what he will do. Verse 10, he says, I have sought. Verse 11, I have hid. Verse 12, I have declared. Verse 14, I have rejoiced. He says, now in the two following verses, he does engage himself to set his mark towards God for the time to come. I will meditate in thy precepts. And goes on. I just encourage you this morning, from what we've said, start that practice of meditating on God's word. Just take a verse. Don't... If you want to spend an hour in the morning reading the Bible and praying, fantastic, great, do it. You'll only be blessed by doing it. But even just by reading one verse, meditate on his precepts. Go over it during the day. Allow it to impact you. Have respect unto his ways. 
value them, appreciate them, cherish them. And then finally verse 16. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You know, there are no repetitions. We've said that already in this song. Every time you see something, you think, well, isn't that just saying the same as I've already seen? It's not. It's delighting ourselves. You know, that's the first time that word has been used here. We've had rejoice already, but this is the first time we're delighting ourselves. You know, Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I believe that means that if you delight yourself in God, God will place within you the right desires. Delight ourselves in his statutes. Again, statutes. That word, speaking of engraving. Delight ourselves in the things that the Lord impresses upon our hearts and minds. Remember the two disciples just in closing on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had risen from the dead. And Jesus walks along with them and then they sit down and have a meal and then suddenly Jesus disappears from the sight. And they make that comment, didn't our hearts burn within us? Well, that's the, that's the kind of relationship, delighting ourselves in his statues and not forgetting his word. God's word is inexhaustible. You know, the flesh will leave us frustrated that we failed. The word of God will leave us satisfied that we tried. You know, the flesh will always leave us in a place frustrated, disappointed. We didn't get what we thought we were going to get. But if you invest a little bit of time in God's word, it will always bring blessing. You'll never look back and go, well, that was a waste of time. It'll always bring fruit. The flesh will lead us to despondency and disappointment, but the word will lead us to rejoicing and peace. That's why we must never forget God's word. Let's close this morning in prayer. Father, we thank you for these things. Lord, so many lessons to impact us, to, Lord, challenge us. Lord, I just want to thank you this morning that you are such a gracious God, that you care enough about each one of us here this morning, that you want us to grow, and that you want us to receive the blessings that you have for us. Blessed art thou, O Lord. So, Lord, we do pray, teach us your statutes. Because you're blessed, because you're the source of all blessing. So, Lord, all of these things we ask now that we will continue to grow in knowledge and grace in the precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.